We all have that friend who wakes up early to go get everyone McDonald's breakfast while the rest of us sleep in. This is your sign to thank them. And if you're that friend, this is us saying thank you. Now get a sausage McMuffin, sausage biscuit, sausage burrito, or hash browns. Choose two for $2.50. Enjoy a large iced coffee for just $2. Price of participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Single item at regular price. The Exxon Radio Show with Rob McConnell is largely an opinion talk show. All opinions, comments, or statements of fact expressed by Rob McConnell's guests are strictly their own and are not to be construed as those of the Exxon Radio Show or endorsed in any manner by Rob McConnell, Relmar McConnell Media Company, the Exxon Broadcast Network, its affiliated networks, stations, employees, or advertisers. Welcome to the X-Zone, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. And welcome to the Exxon, everyone. My name is Rob McConnell, and this edition of the Exxon is coming to you around the world on the Exxon Broadcast Network, Talkstar Radio Network, Mutual Broadcast Network, iHeartRadio, and then Simul Radio and Simul TV. If you'd like to send me an email, exxon at exxonradiotv.com on all social media sites, Exxon Radio TV. And to find out about the programming that we have available for you 24-7, 365 on the Exxon Broadcast Network, visit www.xzbn.net. And for the Exxon TV channel that is exclusive to Simul TV, visit www.simultv.com. I must tell you, I just received the rushes from Cal Corf on the investigation into the JFK assassination. Amazing footage. Truly amazing, groundbreaking, and once and for all, the definitive answer and solution to the JFK assassination. It's a six-part series. The first uh, series that Cal and I are producing is the JFK assassination with five other uh, shocking and riveting other investigative um, series. My guest this hour, Exo Nation, is Adam McGear. And he is a vice president of the British Columbia Scientific Cryptozoology, zool, yeah, zoological or zoology there, club, and has been studying strange creatures like sea serpents and Sasquatch for 15 years. He has participated in numerous field expeditions and conferences, made several television appearances, as well as interviews in newspapers and magazines on the subject of monsters and mysteries. By trade, Adam is a technical writer and trainer. The BCSS, I'm sorry, BCSCC takes a scientific, skeptical approach to the investigation of creatures not yet recognized by the scientific community. These include such famous examples as the Sasquatch, Yeti, Ogopogo, and the Loch Ness Monster. Their mandate is to understand where these creatures may fit into the greater picture of the realm of natural history. 
Now, they do not subscribe to paranormal, occultic, or supernatural viewpoints when seeking the nature and origins of such animals. The website is www.bcscc.ca. And Adam, welcome to the X-Zone. Thank you for having me. Wow. Where did your, where did your uh, interest and uh, the quest to you know, study all these cryptozoological creatures come from? Uh, well, I would say it uh, it started fairly early on. Um, when I was a kid, I enjoyed subjects like uh, ghosts mm-hmm. and ancient mysteries like the pyramids and Stonehenge. And as I began to kind of read up on those subjects, I, uh, I discovered cryptozoology or the study of animals that have yet to be um, discovered and, and cataloged by science. And I think it's kind of a combination of a love for animals and the natural world and also a love of uh, mysteries and the unknown. Um, have you yourself witnessed a Bigfoot, a Sasquatch, a Yeti, or a lake monster? I have not. And uh, that is probably the most most common frequently asked question that mm-hmm. That we get here, we do have uh, some members who are witnesses, and we do speak to a lot of witnesses or people who feel that they did see something out of the ordinary. But uh, I myself have never seen one, and I like to think that uh, that helps me remain kind of um, neutral and uh, unbiased on the subject. How many members of the BCSCC are there? Um, well, it's hard to say exactly. We have a number of members that uh, we communicate online with through social media in our groups. We have a number of members who kind of receive our, our uh, quarterly newsletter. Uh, and then there's kind of a smaller subset, I would say, under 50, who uh, actually meet up on a semi-regular basis and do things like field work and investigations uh, but as you can imagine, and uh, not everybody has the the time or the the resources yes. to be able to go out into the into the field. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say there's there's kind of a small, tightly knit group of investigators who actually make uh, regular visits out into the forest or out onto the water. Let me ask you this question: What, in your opinion, as someone who researches uh, the cryptozoological creatures, is Bigfoot? What is it? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, personally, I think if Bigfoot does exist, mm-hmm. and I'm not saying that uh, it definitely does or it or it definitely doesn't, uh, but if it does exist, it is a living, breathing biological animal. Um, it may be related to us, to Homo sapiens in some way, shape, or form um, in the sense that people often describe a, uh, a bipedal that is walking on two legs, a, uh, a, a gorilla-like creature, a very large ape-like creature that is covered in hair and walks on two legs. So it could, in fact, be a, a branch off um, from our own ancestors at some point or a, a kind of more primitive uh, version of of Homo sapiens or um, Australopithecus that became a lot more robust in the shoulders and a lot a lot larger to be able to live outdoors all the time. Your best guess: Your best How guess. many Sasquatch are there roaming the woods and the mount- beautiful mountains 
around Surrey, B.C., where you're located. And let's take the entire province of B.C. Yeah, well, I was going to say Surrey, B.C., you know, we have a, a large metropolitan area yeah. here. Uh, but, of course, British Columbia is a vast province, and uh, Canada in general, uh, most of Canada is actually uninhabited. Yes. We, um, we do, we, yeah, we have a vast wilderness here. And in British Columbia, most of the population is clustered kind of along the border mm. of the United States. Uh, but the rest of the province is quite rugged, and, uh, and there's a lot of outback out there. Um, and when it comes to the subject of how many there are, mm -hmm. it's a good question. Um, sometimes people fall into the habit of thinking about the Sasquatch or the Bigfoot. Like right. there's only one. one that is is seen over and over again. But there, there must be several of them in order to sustain a, a population just like, you know, the black bear mm -hmm. or the grizzly bear. So there could be anywhere between 100 500 even a couple thousand in order to kind of propagate their their species something that has bothered me from the very first day that i had the opportunity of speaking to uh, bigfoot uh, cryptozoologist and my very first interview with bigfoot was with lauren coleman himself is, oh, yeah. is that these animals are not protected by any law in canada or the united states and yet I'm an animal lover, please don't get me wrong. Animals that are recognized to be in existence are protected under the Criminal Code of Canada. So why isn't Bigfoot and any other cryptozoological entity not given the same protection <laughs> as, a, as a little puppy or a kitten? Well, that's a good question. Um, I would certainly like to see some some more definitive protection um, in place. But I think it's a matter of um, not having the, the proof of these species yet. Um, if that ever were to come, I think the protection would come but, fairly soon but, after. But no disrespect but no to disrespect. anyone who's listening. There's no proof of God either, and yet millions upon millions upon millions of people believe he exists. And there are certain rights mm -hmm. that are at given to people who do believe in the existence of God. So why isn't the same courtesy and the same law applicable to Bigfoot? Yeah, it's interesting you say that. I think um, I think for some folks there is a degree of faith. Mm -hmm. um, they've either seen something or they've heard from somebody that they trust um, uh, to the point where they, they know in their minds and in their hearts right. that uh, there's something out there, that there is a you know another species waiting to be discovered. Uh, to a certain degree, I think there is some implicit protection because, at least in the province of British Columbia, you cannot obtain a hunting license for Bigfoot or Sasquatch at this time. Right. And uh, if you were to kill or hunt a... Uh, a species that you do not have a license for, then you could face uh, fine or repercussions right. uh, under the Wildlife Act. All right, stand by, Adam. You and I have to take our first break. Exxon Nation, Adam McGear is our special guest, and he is a vice president of the British Columbia Scientific Cryptozoology Club, and their website is www.bcscc.ca. And Adam and I will be back on the other side of this break as 
Cryptozoology is the topic this hour here in the Exxon from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. My name is Rob McConnell. Don't go away. wakes up early to go get everyone McDonald's breakfast while the rest of us sleep in. This is your sign to thank them. And if you're that friend, this is us saying thank you. Now get a sausage McMuffin, sausage biscuit, sausage burrito, or hash browns. Choose two for $2.50. Enjoy a large iced coffee for just $2. Price of participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. We all have that friend who wakes up early to go get everyone McDonald's breakfast while the rest of us sleep in. This is your sign to thank them. And if you're that friend, this is us saying thank you. Now get a sausage McMuffin, sausage biscuit, sausage burrito, or hash browns. Choose two for $2.50. Enjoy a large iced coffee for just $2. Price of participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. bit of family news here today, Exxon Nation. I, Laura and I are very proud to announce that earlier today, at approximately 5 o'clock Eastern, our son and daughter gave birth to a little baby boy. This is our 12th grandchild, Little Link. As Well, his name is Link, and we call him Little Link. Weighed in at 8 pounds, 12 ounces, and both mom and dad are doing great, and little Wyatt Link's brother can't look for, you know, he's so excited and he just can't wait to take the role of big brother to the next step. So to uh, Susie and Clint and Link and and little Wyatt, love you guys. Proud of you all. My guest this hour is Adam McGear. He is the uh, A Vice President of the British Columbia Scientific uh, Cryptozoology Club. Their website is www.bcscc.ca. All right, Adam, what do we know about the creature that we call Bigfoot? What do we know about his social life, his home life, his family life? Uh, well, the answer, the honest answer is not a whole lot. Hmm. Uh, we are, um, we're still very much in the discovery phase in terms of uh, details about what the habits of this animal may be. Right. Um, but I think if if we are thinking about this like a living, breathing creature, then we have to assume that these animals meet up somehow. They might have some sort of mating call. Um, they may even share food or other resources. And some people believe that they have um, nesting sites mm-hmm. where people have discovered either, you know, structures in the forest that look like they were put together with very large uh, limbs, fallen limbs from trees, or matted areas that look 
like uh, something may have bedded down for the night. So if these are living, breathing creatures, then they must eat and sleep and reproduce just like us. Based on the research that your association or your, your club has done, have there been eyewitness accounts of adult Bigfoots, smaller Bigfoots, as well as uh, juvenile Bigfoots? Yeah, that's a good question, actually, because uh, it is a common misconception that all uh, big feet, mm-hmm. if you will, to, to coin a phrase, are uh, you know enormous creatures, eight or nine feet tall, three, four hundred pounds. Uh, but of course, they uh, they wouldn't come out that way. They uh, they must start smaller, right? As right. Uh, as baby big feet, and uh, and yes, there are some reports of people seeing um, juvenile or, you know, smaller, shorter, Mm -hmm. almost child-sized creatures still um, covered in hair and still exhibiting very wild behavior, uh, but not the gargantuan sizes that are typical in the reports of, say, adult uh, Bigfoot, which are, you know, eight or nine feet tall or even excess of that size. According to the research done by the BCSCC, has there ever been communication or interaction between Bigfoot or Big Feet and humans? And also, once again, according to the research that you people have done, has anyone ever been attacked by a Bigfoot? Um, yes, there are some, some several researchers who... Uh, when they go out into the forest, mm-hmm. they perform what is called a wood knock. Right. And basically that involves taking a very large uh, stick, like a, a branch, and beating it onto a tree to produce kind of a, a very loud sound. Right. And uh, a lot of the time those sounds are um, repeated back to them, certain patterns of sounds. And and uh, some people interpret that as a as a form of communication mm-hmm. by Bigfoot or even as a warning to kind of move away from their area that uh, the investigators may not necessarily be welcome there. Um, and then there's there's another set of, of researchers who uh, have a number of sound recordings. So they recorded um, howls, uh, yells, and mm-hmm. screams in the forest that they can't attribute to any other animal such as a you know a coyote or even an owl um, they hear these sounds and sometimes they will try to you know to reproduce the sound in in reply in an attempt to get a bit of a of a dialogue so would this mean that the bigfoot is a territorial uh, species Yes, well, I think um, certainly if 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 we're talking about a very large mm-hmm. animal that roams the forest and forages for food, um, it's to my mind that's very similar to something like a bear, like a black bear or a grizzly bear. Right. And uh, we have to presume that these animals would know the territory much better than we do and uh, would naturally either shy away from confrontation, would, um, if they were to hear something like a truck 
or a four by four or, or a construction equipment in the forest that they might attempt to either um, warn people away, scare people away, or they would simply retreat to higher ground or deeper into the forest, which may uh, account for the lack of, of good quality photos and video evidence, because simply put, they hear us coming. The, the, all the work and all the building of communities within the forested area, is this causing, number one, more sightings? And number two, more confrontations with uh, the people who are working on these sites? Um, actually, I would say the opposite. I think there are fewer sightings now and uh, fewer confrontations uh, because of things like highways and, right. uh, you know, noisy equipment. If you think about um, all the work it takes to build a road into a rural remote area, you know, you need trucks and excavators and chainsaws and uh, bulldozers and that kind of thing. And I think if these animals were already there and they heard even the beginnings of that activity going on, um, that they would probably move out fairly quickly. And it seems to me like these animals are, are less confrontational. They don't seem to be uh, predatory right? in the sense that, um, to go back to one of your earlier questions, um, you were asking if anybody had ever been attacked yes. by a uh, by a Bigfoot or a Sasquatch. And there's a very famous story in British Columbia about a man named Albert Ostman, and he was a he was searching for gold up in the hills, and he had taken a trip um, into an inlet uh, uh, quite a ways up the coast. It, it would be um, you know, four or five hours from here by boat. And basically what happened was he said that he was sleeping in a sleeping bag and then he was abducted by a creature that, that he described very much like a, like a Bigfoot, a Sasquatch. And then he said he was carried for a long period of time and that when he was finally put down... He was actually in the company of a small family of these creatures, um, and that includes like a you know the the male, what he interpreted to be kind of the the father, um, a slightly smaller kind of mother character, and then uh, another juvenile, like we were discussing yes. um, yeah. earlier. But uh, he didn't he didn't sense that they were trying to kill him or hunt him or anything like that it, it was more out of uh curiosity curiosity yeah i can just see him I hey just... honey look what i found i was going to bring home a dog or a cat but i got a human you know who knows yeah. based on on the research that you've done and other cryptozoologists have done what is the best guess as to the actual origin of Bigfoot? Um, if you're asking about my best guess, yep. I, uh, I tend to subscribe to the theory that, um, that these animals are similar to something like a Gigantopithecus or a, you know, kind of a primitive ape 
that uh, similar to us, they evolved to walk on two legs mm-hmm. instead of uh, scampering around like like a monkey or an orangutan. Uh, but that they also became uh, a lot more hearty and and uh, able to live outside. They developed the fur all over their bodies. Um, a lot of muscles, of course, for moving rocks, you know, for scavenging, looking under rocks for bugs and uh, maybe even crustaceans. There's some reports, um, especially from the First Nations peoples in this area of Bigfoot or Sasquatch being seen uh, digging in the sand for things like uh, clams mm-hmm. and, um, and and different types of uh, crustaceans that you might find on the beach. Adam, I'm, so, we're going to have to do a bit of a cliffhanger here. I have to take my news break at the bottom of the hour. Explanation, Adam McGear is our special guest, and he is with the... British Columbia Scientific Cryptozoology Club. Their website is www.bcscc.ca. And Adam and I will be back on the other side of this break with the news as the Exxon continues from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away. Talking about Bigfoot this hour with our guest, Adam McGear. He is uh, one of the vice presidents of the British Columbia Scientific Cryptozoology Club. Their website is www.bcscc.ca. Adam, before we went to the break, you were saying that there have been reports from some of the uh, indigenous uh, Canadians in that area who've actually seen Bigfoot, Big, Bigfoot, Digging in the sand as if we're looking for clams or other crustaceans. What else have the the indigenous uh, people uh, reported? Uh, well, in fact, there's there's a very rich cultural tradition amongst uh, several different First Nations peoples, mm-hmm. at least in British Columbia, describing creatures like Bigfoot or Sasquatch. Um, and in fact, the, the, the word Sasquatch is likely, um, derived from a First Nations word that uh, might be closer to Tsaskats. Um, so essentially there have been, uh, people here for thousands of years mm-hmm. and the stories of these kind of large creatures go back, um, in their, their oral traditions quite a long way. Um, and in some in some cases they're seen as a good omen, and in some cases they're seen as a bad omen if you encounter one. But it, it really varies depending on on the people and uh, and their their particular set of uh, of legends. But uh, I think in in general, people more modern researchers try to reconcile what we see today in terms of the the sightings and the, the descriptions with some of these legends that have been around for for hundreds, if not thousands of years, and suggest that these First Nations peoples were, in fact, 
uh, aware of these these animals long before the the uh, the Europeans came to North America. Um, when when were the first reports submitted to the BC Wildlife and Fisheries Department as well as to the Royal Canadian Mounted Police pertaining to Bigfoot, Sasquatch? Um, yeah, I don't have information on that specifically. I think uh, a, a lot of encounters would have happened fairly early on during um, while Canada was kind of being explored and being discovered. And in particular, in British Columbia, our forestry industry um, was very busy in kind of the early in the 50s and 60s, 1950s and 1960s. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are stories from older than that. But I think while we were beginning to really develop roads and highways and perhaps these animals hadn't realized um, exactly the extent of our of our reach. Right. Uh, it seems like there were quite a few stories that came out at that time of logging truck drivers who would see something that they couldn't explain. Mm-hmm. Um, and keep in mind, these folks see a lot of bears black bears, they see mountain lions, um, all the different animals that you would expect to see in an area like that. Um, These guys are often uh, hunters or wildlife enthusiasts. So if they're reporting something that they can't explain, then it's just maybe there was something else out there. Have you or any of the other members of the uh, BC Scientific Cryptozoology Club or any other Sasquatch Bigfoot investigator in BC come across any scat or uh, hair samples that they've had uh, they've had uh, sent for analysis? And if so, what were the results of the analysis? Um, there are some investigators who will look for things like um, scat or or hair samples to be honest it's it's very difficult you're dealing with a a vast area and odds are if you see something like that Mm -hmm. in the woods chances are it will belong to something like a bear a wolf a coyote a dog you kind of have to eliminate all of the usual suspects first before Mm -hmm. you can you can jump to something like an unknown hominid right uh, but it's actually quite a bit it's quite a bit more common for investigators to find tracks and these are basically impressions in the earth in the mm-hmm. soil that don't seem to belong to any one of those animals like a bear okay. or a or a deer or anything and in fact i uh, i have one here that might be i don't know if you can see yes, this yes i can yeah. wow on your screen this is actually a copy of a copy of a copy of a track, so the the detail isn't very good here, but you can you can clearly see that there are you know five toes yes. here, and there's it's it's quite a big foot. What size would that um, be in human standards? Uh, this would be quite large. This you know if you think of uh, Shaq, right, the uh, basketball player. Yeah. You know I'm a size ten shoe. This has got to be you know a size twenty five. My gosh, but. Uh, the the detail on this print you can see mm-hmm. it's quite deep yes so whatever made this print mm-hmm. obviously had a lot of weight that it was carrying and it would be difficult for somebody like me even though I'm a I'm a little bit heavy set it would be difficult for somebody like me to leave a print um, of this size yeah. and this 
depth in the earth. Where most did that print come from? This print is actually a copy of prints found at the site of the famous Patterson-Gimlin film. Wow. And the Patterson-Gimlin film mm-hmm. is probably the most famous piece of Bigfoot evidence. It was a, a film taken in 1967 in the area of Bluff Creek, California. And uh, it's probably familiar to anybody who is familiar with the subject of Sasquatch. That's the one that depicts the the large animal kind of crossing the yeah. creek bed. But isn't there isn't there a lot of controversy even within the cryptozoology uh, research group that some believe that the film is legitimate and others who have done backgrounds investigations into Patterson and Gimlin, you know, kind of taint uh, the credibility of the film. Yes, absolutely. There is uh, quite a lot of controversy. Yeah. And as far as I'm concerned, nobody can say for certain uh, whether or not the film is authentic or not. Um, I've personally spoken with Mr. Gimlin, who was Mm -hmm. who was there that day. And I I find him to be, uh, you know, a very pleasant and uh, trustworthy uh, individual. Mr. Patterson has passed on. Right. Unfortunately. Um, But there's been, you know, countless analyses done of that film and a number of people have come forward saying that either they were the man in the suit yes. that day or that they can prove mm-hmm. that the film was faked. But, but what then are, a lot of the time those claims um, are not backed up by any evidence. But what about uh, Gimlin himself? Was he ever subjected to a polygraph test? And if so, what were the results of the polygraph test? Um, I can't speak to whether or not he was ever submitted um subjected to a, a polygraph test. I mean, uh, people in law enforcement know that polygraphs are kind of hit and miss, and in fact, they're not they're not used um, conclusively uh, anymore to prove that. But, it, uh, but isn't it a, to, isn't it a tool not. that is used by researchers? For example, uh, there are many cases within the UFO community that people who claim to have been abducted, for example, Travis Walton and, and the entire crew were subjected to polygraph tests. And mm-hmm. Bob Hieronymus, who, who came forward and claimed to be one of the, claimed to be the person inside of the, the famous suit, he underwent a polygraph test and he mm-hmm. passed. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, uh, yeah. I'm familiar with uh, Bob Hieronymus and, um, many of the claims that that he made yeah. have um, there have been some inconsistencies yep. in his claims, and there's also nobody has yet to produce the suit or even a, a piece of the suit that was used that day. So if if the suit was created or it was purchased from say a special effects shop or a you know costume store, there should be some kind of shred of evidence. Uh, evidence that we can use to to um, to either recreate that yeah. suit. And the other detail is this is 1967. Mm-hmm. So this is, uh, you know, if you think about Planet of the Apes yeah. or Space Odyssey 2001, the special effects in that day were somewhat primitive. And to make a suit look as convincing as it does in the Patterson-Gimlin film, would have required uh, quite a bit of expertise. 
You know, we can also use the God analogy in this case as well, where once again, there's no evidence that a God really does exist. And you've got millions upon millions who believe. Um, here's a question I'm going to ask you, and I'll, I'll give you a bit of time to, to think over the answer as we go into this final break. How come there has never been a cadaver of a Bigfoot brought forward? He, no, yeah, throughout Canada, there are deer that are hit, moose that are hit, mountain lions that are hit. You name it, you find them on the Trans-Canada Highway at some point. How come, if Bigfoot is real, there has never been a cadaver found of a Bigfoot either on the highway or in the forest? We'll be back on the other side of this break as we wrap up this hour here in the Exxon with our special guest, Adam McGear. He is a, a vice president of the British Columbia Scientific Zoology Club, and their website is www.bcscc.ca. This is the Exxon. I am Rob McConnell, and we're coming to you from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. This is the final wrap. Don't go away. So, Nation, if you're, um, if you're interested in having your very own radio show or TV show, or if you're a producer and you have video that you would like to have played to the international market, like about 238 million viewers, send me an email, exxon at exxonradiotv.com. My guest this hour is Adam McGear. He is a vice president of the British Columbia Scientific Cryptozoology Club. Their website is www.bcscc.ca. First of all, Adam, thank you so much for coming on the show. I've thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. Uh, we'll have to have you back on because we still have so many other topics to talk about. But the question I asked before we went to the break, how come we haven't found the cadaver of a Bigfoot? Yeah, I mean that's that is the number one question I think, yeah. and uh, it is it's a question that deserves a an answer. And in fact, there is no simple answer to this one. Mm -hmm. um, there, I can think of a number of different factors, though. Um, if this is in fact a, a living, breathing species, it uh, it must be fairly small in numbers. Otherwise, we would be seeing these things. A uh, lot more often. Yes. Um, of course, they must live in fairly remote areas where there aren't people. Um, we were talking earlier about how you know they might hear us coming and they might mm -hmm. move um, to higher ground or try to avoid confrontation with things like uh, automobiles. There have been several reports. In fact, I've, I've spoken to a witness who saw one, what she thought was a Bigfoot, um, crossing the highway in front of her car on the Sunshine Coast. So that may have been a near miss. Um, but yeah, you would you would expect sooner or later for a bone or a tooth or even a, uh, a skull, 
fragment to to turn up. But once, but once again, a, a bone, a tooth, even a skull fragment would be hard to identify to somebody going through the woods uh, who saw. They might think, "Oh, there's the, you know the bear got killed or whatever." So I right. can understand where the conundrum is. Finally, uh, last year I ran a um, I led a campaign against a television show in the United States to get it kicked off the air, where you had these Bigfoot uh, so-called hunters going out to shoot a Bigfoot. I think mm-hmm. that this is, it, it was all wrong. And uh, for a network to even contemplate putting that on the air just for ratings, I think it was despicable. What is your opinion of these people who go into the woods? Now, we know there's poaching. There's poaching of every animal that we know of. But poaching a Bigfoot, what is your take on this since you are dedicated to the preservation and identification thereof? Yes, personally, um, I would much rather have a good quality, high-definition video mm-hmm. of one of these animals than to know that it was, you know, that it was killed. Uh, like we said, it could be endangered. It could be one of the last of its kind, and it could be akin to um, killing a human. Yes. You know, you may face something like a homicide charge once it's determined, you know, what this animal is. Um, so I think it, it is a product of kind of the, the reality TV industry. Um, they want to show people in kind of military gear with uh, rifles and, and shotguns going out on, on a stakeout. Uh, but we, we tend to engage in a, a little bit more of a conservation effort, at least here in British Columbia. We want to encourage people to, to learn all they can about these animals and the, the natural world in general because we think uh, only good can come from that. I agree with you 100% and I applaud you and your organization for taking that stand. Let's talk about something else. Uh, we, we still got so many other topics to talk about, but Ogopogo, right in your province. Tell our listeners about Ogopogo. Uh, well, Ogopogo is a supposed inhabitant of Lake Okanagan, mm-hmm. which is a very large lake uh, in the interior of British Columbia. It's about a five or six hour drive from here. And uh, for decades, people have reported seeing a large snake-like creature in the lake. And many people think this might be similar to, you know, your typical description of the Loch Ness Monster or some of the other uh, more famous sea serpent type creatures. Um, uh, like a champ in like Lake Champlain. Champlain. Um, what's the, uh, there's one in a Memphrey in Lake Memphis, Magog. And then there's one in Barry's Bay and, and the list goes mm-hmm. on and on and on. What was the most recent sighting of Ogopogo? Um, there have been several sightings. Actually, I know of, of a few just in the past few years wow. where people were on a, on a dock um, having just parked their boat, being out on the water, and they described a 40-foot snake-like creature um, swimming its way through the water. Now, unfortunately, there's no uh, there's no picture, there's no photographic evidence from that account, but there are pictures and there are video clips um, of unidentified objects in Lake Okanagan, and it is a fairly busy lake, mm-hmm. especially right now. In the summertime, there are lots of people um, water skiing and enjoying activities 
on and around the lake. So I'm I'm hopeful that somebody now that we have uh, cell phone cameras and GoPros and yes. things like that, I'm hopeful that somebody will obtain quality footage in the near future. Is it possible that um, Ogopogo is related to the Loch Ness monster, and could they be leftovers from the Dino Age? Um, it is possible that we're that both creatures are similar in the sense that they are unidentified. Um, there's a possibility that they are in fact not sea serpents at all, but rather something like a large uh, freshwater seal or, or uh, you know, a, a river otter mm -hmm. that has grown to, wow. to very large proportions. And that um, there's also some uh, issue with the, the size that is reported, you know, people, their depth perception may be affected. They might, you know, be exaggerating a little bit, like a good good fish story. Uh, but I want to remind the listeners that um, the Ice Age took place about 10,000 years ago. And I think both the areas in Scotland and in Lake Okanagan would have been covered by by ice. So the likelihood of a, of a dinosaur-like creature having survived all those millions of years from that long ago um, through the Ice Age and through other kind of climate change-related activities and that kind of thing, um, and needing to breed, obviously, and have a sustainable population, I think it is unlikely that it is a dinosaur-like creature. It is much more likely that it is a amphibian or fish or mammal. It's funny it when, when you look at it, the same questions and quandaries that face you with with Bigfoot are also the same when it comes to other aspects of cryptozoology. And by the way, in case you don't notice, there's a bunch of tentacles behind you right now. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Uh, the Kraken is a, uh, a kind of an ancient uh, cryptozoological story. You know, sailors from the Viking era would describe their ships being attacked by a, by a creature just like the one behind me. And now we know about the giant squid yes and the colossal squid so the kraken may be an example of a, a creature that was once a cryptid mm -hmm. or undiscovered animal that has now been cataloged and identified by science and maybe someday bigfoot and ogopogo will join the giant squid in scientific textbooks we have about two minutes left before you and I have to say so long. What are your final thoughts for the Exxon Nation watching and listening tonight? Um, in terms of final thoughts, I like to encourage people to learn all that they can about um, animals and the natural world. And if you're interested in a subject like cryptozoology, um, unfortunately, there's no degree that you can take, no university offers a degree in cryptozoology. Um, but studies and disciplines like anthropology, marine biology, forensics, um, even photography and videography, there are a number of different skills that you can learn and you can develop that could help contribute to a an interest in cryptozoology. So I would encourage people um, not to be dismayed um, 
and also to keep a kind of a skeptical viewpoint. If somebody has extreme claims that they've seen, you know, a number of different unknown creatures, four or five Sasquatch together, or a 40 foot, 50 foot long snake, then it, it does deserve follow up questions. And you do want to make sure that you use your um, logic and reason to try to determine the most likely candidate for the encounter. Adam, I want to say again, thank you so much for coming on the show. I look forward to the next time that you're with us. And please give my very best to the other people within your club. And you're always welcomed here on the X-Zone. Thank you very much, Rob. I very much enjoyed this. You take care of yourself, my friend. And uh, if there's anything exciting that comes across your desk, give us a call. We'll get you right back on. X-Zone Nation. My guest this hour has been Adam McGear. He is one of the vice presidents of the British Columbia Scientific Cryptozoology Club. Their website is www.bcss.ca. I'll be back on the other side of this commercial break as we continue investigating the world of the paranormal, the science of parapsychology, and so much more here in the Exxon from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away. Don't go away.